This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 13, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. One argument offered by the Obama administration in favor of its health care law is rooted in what it calls a crisis in the health care market. That may justify a large-scale reform of the health care industry, but a crisis in the health care market doesn't make this particular reform constitutional. Trevor Burris, a legal associate at the Cato Institute, comments. The Obama administration has argued that given the circumstances, the crisis in the national health care market, I think was the, the terminology that they used, the legislation, the Affordable Care Act, was an appropriate response given that. Exactly. This has uh, appeared in their brief uh, arguing for the individual mandate, which was uh, filed in early January. And part of the argument is that the individual mandate was a proper response to a crisis in national health care. The interesting thing about this is that they're trying to hinge the power of the federal government on whether or not it's responding to a crisis. And uh, the interest, I, I wonder if they would actually forward this view consistently across the board because there's many things that the government could do to respond to a so-called crisis. And I wonder, for example, if they would use this argument to support the Patriot Act if they opposed it, if they would be, okay, well, what makes the Patriot Act constitutional is it's responding to a crisis. And when you think about it that way, you realize that it's an absolutely monstrous proposition that the that the U.S. government would have power based on an asserted crisis. What they have is they have enumerated powers that tell what the sort of ends that they're allowed to pursue are. And nowhere does it give them a general power for crisis. Let's say the Constitution says this is fine. It's, it's an appropriate response and we all agree that that uh, the uh, it's constitutional. There are still several hurdles that they'd have to get over in order to make this an appropriate response Absolutely. To, to a crisis. Absolutely. And that's and that's the thing. Sometimes legal scholars like to talk about a means and an end analysis, and they're saying it's the ends that they're going to point out. And I say, well, no, the ends are actually listed there in the Constitution, and one of them is not the health care market. But the other thing is the means. is And in this situation, we're the means. It, you know, if, if they wanted to control the drug market as a matter of national importance. And one of the ways they wanted to do that was to make it illegal to speak about drugs. It would be not necessarily the end that would make it because the the means would be violating of the First Amendment. And this is just as bad. And so you have to go through many other steps to figure out if it's an appropriate, proper response. And in no way is this appropriate, proper response. It, it was passed to avoid taxation. Uh, it was passed to create a transfer payment from one person to another person to an insurance company so they wouldn't have to take the political liability of taxation. So all these things are considerations, not just, oh, it's a crisis of a national market. Before we started recording, you and I talked about uh, the different interpretations of Article One, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution. And uh, there is an, uh, a movement, I guess, to adopt a particular interpretation related to interstate commerce? Uh, all the powers, actually, I would say. Okay. Uh, in, in specifically dealing with uh, giving Congress the power to deal with issues uh, in which states separately are incompetent. And of course, we'd have to have some, some idea of what that what that means. Mm -hmm. This is uh, the so-called Resolution 6 argument. And it's been floating around for a while. And certain people who uh, are originalist legal scholars who would be more um, on on the liberal side of the spectrum, probably, they've been pushing 
this idea. So when the Constitutional Convention met, they first as a whole decided basic things that they wanted the government to be doing. And they crafted those into resolutions of, of this is what we think the government should be doing. And then they sent those resolutions to individual committees called committees of detail that turned those desires into legal language. And so the resolution, so-called Resolution 6, which the full committee submitted to the Committee of Detail said that Congress should have the power to uh, fix matters where the states are collectively incompetent or separately incompetent to do. And so that became the enumerated powers in Article 1, Section 8. And so there are some legal scholars who are saying we should interpret the enumerated powers of Article 1, Section 8 in light of that. And this is a very bizarre thing for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons it's bizarre is because it's a, a using a discarded part method of originalism that originalists have mostly got rid of in the early 1980s, which is called original intent originalism, or what I like to call the what would Madison do originalism, where we try and interpret the Constitution based on what was in the minds of the people who wrote the Constitution. And now that may seem to be the initial appeal of originalism, but it, it doesn't work because whose mind are we interpreting for a collective body? Are we interpreting the whole convention, just James Madison, the ratifying uh, states? And that's one reason. And also, you just ask the question of what would happen if uh, a writer of the Constitution had some sort of secret, bizarre interpretation of a word. Uh, instead, we use something called original public meaning original. So that's one reason that's really, that's really strange is that they're asking the secret part of the co Constitutional Convention, which was actually not even made public. Uh, James Madison published those notes after he died because he didn't want the Constitution to be interpreted in light of their discussions. And so it's, it's kind of like asking a lawyer to ignore the written part of a contract and just try to make the contract do what they, what they talked about in private. No, you write the contract and that's what you enforce. And so that's the, the legal scholar part of this, uh, which connects to the solving a, a crisis of national importance. But it also sort of implies, if you use the word incompetent here as, as something that has meaning here, you're putting the court in a position of making fair, sometimes fairly detailed policy uh, choices. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we, we don't, what the Constitution doesn't allow and what should not be allowed when the court hears Obamacare, which is for them to make a, a assessment about whether or not it's a good policy or bad policy. You can't draw a line about that. I mean, the other thing about the idea that Congress has the power to solve these problems is it's not judicially, judicially administrable. Uh, the judges would basically defer to Congress all the time. And although there are a lot of people out there, both on the left and on the right, who, who think that majoritarianism is what this country is about, it is as much about individual rights and the limits on federal power and government power to protect people against the majorities. And one way we do that is we limit Congress's power with the words. And so, yes, absolutely. Trevor Burris is a legal associate at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.